0: Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20. I'll jump right into the scripture. It says, "Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." And he said to them, I saw, I saw Satan fall like heaven, like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give." you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So this is what's happening right now, right? Jesus... <laughs> He sends out the 70. He sends out the 70 to go heal the sick, to preach about the kingdom of God, to cast out demons and evil spirits. Like, he sends them out. They are on a mission, and he sends them out. Now, when they began to return, right, when they they started coming back, they were all hype. They're all hype. you, you You know how you've been when you go somewhere, and it goes really well, you come back, and you're super hype about it, like, yo, that was, that was great. That's not, Well, this is, this is what happened. They went out. They were praying. They were preaching. They were doing it. And then they were casting demons out in the name of Jesus. And so they come back like, yo, this was crazy. We was casting demons out. Yo, all we had to say was your name and blah, blah, blah. And they were excited. They were rejoicing. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And Jesus was like, yo, yeah, I know. I know. As you were doing that, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I I, I know what was going on. I know everything. He's like, but y'all rejoicing in the wrong things. Y'all rejoicing in all the wrong things. What you should be rejoicing about is that your name (laughs) is written in heaven. That your name is written in heaven. Man. Man. So, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that we can't be happy, we can't be, that, that you know, we see God moving in, in a powerful way, right? We, we can't say that we're like, oh, you know, uh, we, we got to be like, oh, Jesus is doing some great things. Did you see what he did over there? He just casted that, demon. Uh, like, I'm, I'm not saying that that's how we should be, right? I'm saying that we should understand <laughs> what, what is most important. And what's most important is that our names are written in heaven. Because what if you don't cast a demon out? What if you personally never cast a demon out? What does that mean? I mean, if that's more important than your name written in heaven, then wait a minute, we got a problem, right? (laughs) What is the most important thing in your life right now? Let's start to think. Be honest with yourself. What is the most important thing in my life? Um, I don't know. Um, Is it the money that God has given you? Let's not forget that everything we got, God has given us, right? So is it the money that God gave you in the first place? Is it your gifts and abilities? (laughs) Pastor, uh, you know that uh, every time I pray for the sick, they get healed. Okay, amen, amen. But is that what's most important to you? Is it your family? Is your family the most important thing to you? Is it your job? Is it your business? Is it ministry? But ministry is supposed to be, Nah, I don't know if it's supposed to be the most important thing. In this passage, in this passage, we'll see that Jesus points out to us what should be the most important things in our lives, our salvation. Our salvation. Where we will spend eternity is the most important thing in your life. Because if anything else comes before that, and you flake on the whole salvation issue, you will spend an eternity in hell. Straight up. I can't even sugarcoat that. That's just the truth. We are in, we are in this battle series, and salvation, salvation is also a weapon, but we're in this battle series. We've been in this war. You know, this isn't something new, right? Uh, we've been in this war. We're currently in this war. We're going to be in this war, this spiritual war that we are in, that is not against flesh and blood but against principalities. The enemy is trying to, to, to rob you of, of a relationship with God. He's trying to, he's fighting for your soul. We know that the enemy's tactics is to tempt us. To try to establish these strongholds in our life that make it, that are almost uh, hard, that are too hard for us to tear down our, on our own. We see that the battlefield happens in the mind. But let us not be victims today. Let us be victorious in this fight. Who is with me? Uh, come on. Nobody? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read it, we're going to read it again, we read it two weeks, this is the third week we'll read it, um, chapter 6, verse 12 through 18 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So far, so far, we've spoken about the belt of truth. We've spoken about the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. And as we continue today, we're going to go right into the helmet of salvation. The helmet was another piece of the armor that the Roman soldier would use, and uh, it was made of bronze, and it, w- it had the Roman soldier helmet, the Roman helmet. It, it, would, it would have an opening here, but it would come back down like this, and it would, it would cover the cheeks. It would cover their cheeks as well. So it, wasn't, it was protecting the back of their head, the top, the, um, and the front part of their face. Um, it provided protection, right? And of course, if it protects your head, it's protecting your mind. Your mind is important, especially since we've already discussed at the battlefield, right? And many battles are fought there. It's in your mind... That temptation takes place. It's in your mind that the enemy seeks to build those strongholds. So how do we protect it? We protect it with the helmet of salvation. Now, let's take some time to talk about this, but in order to understand the helmet of salvation, salvation begins with grace. It begins with grace. So we want to look at two aspects of grace so we can better understand salvation. We really need to, the first thing I want to say about grace is that we really need to understand the grace of God. As we understand the grace of God and we truly understand it, then we begin to notice, we begin to notice the vast space that exists between God and people. We really need to grasp the reality of our own sinfulness. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 41 to 47 says, There was a certain creditor who had, there was a certain creditor. Let me see here, let me see here. Oh, I got my verses mixed up. Okay, let's. Uh, we'll, re- we'll read it. We'll read it. We'll, re- we'll read it through. 41 says, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more, and he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. (laughs) You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair on her head. You gave me no kiss but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom? She lo- for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven? The same loves little. I want to tell you guys what's happening all right, uh, right now. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house. And so Jesus, he gets to Simon the Pharisee's house, and he goes in. And as you heard Jesus himself say, he didn't get, like, you know, water to wash his feet. Remember, they wore, they wore the sandal Jordans back then, you know, the ones that were open. And, um, and so as you're walking through the streets, your feet get dirty. And so the, it, was, it was custom and out of respect that the host of the home would have water ready so you can clean your feet before you come into the home. Simon Simon the Pharisee didn't even do that. Jesus comes in, sits down, and while Jesus is there at the table with Simon the Pharisee, a woman comes in, and the Bible says, a sinful woman. This woman has a reputation. She's got a reputation. You know how we know, oh, well, we all do bad things, right? One thing is to say we all do bad things, and one thing is to say, oh, no, we all know she does bad things. And so this woman was a woman that everybody knew that she does bad things. And she enters in, and she begins to, she begins to cry. She begins to cry at the feet of Jesus. Her tears were falling on Jesus' feet. And she began to use her tears to wipe uh, his feet, and she used her hair to do it. So those ladies that have long hair, she probably, like, flipped it over like this. And then she was leaning, and she was using her hair and her tears to clean Jesus' feet. Then she took out this bottle, fragrance, uh, uh, like a perfume, was not cheap at all. And she empties out this bottle on his feet as she's. Cleaning his feet. While this is all happening, Simon, the Pharisee, he's sitting back. And he's like, this guy calls himself a prophet. If he was really a prophet, he'd know that the woman touching him is a sinful woman. And that's what sparked Jesus to then turn around and be like, let me tell you a little story. You know, Jesus he, like, let, let me tell you a little story. And he says, listen, this guy owed, you know, 10 grand and this guy owed five. And the, the guy that they owed the money to, you know, he felt like forgiving their debts. And he forgave both of them. Which one's going to be more grateful? Obviously, the one who owed 10000 He says, you're right. And then he began to say, this woman right here, this woman, this woman knows. She knew. She knew that she was a sinner. Right? The, was the Pharisee any better than this woman? Not at all. But he thought he was. You see, that's a problem when we walk around, especially, listen, listen, especially as a believer or as a Christian. We walk around and we think that we're better than anyone. Is We're doing what this Pharisee did. The moment you think that you are better than anyone else, you are, at that moment, Simon the Pharisee. you are you are acting and doing just what he thought. He thought he was better. He saw, you know, but the greater the understanding of our own sinfulness, the more we will appreciate what God has done for us in Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? When you realize how much of a mess you were, when you realize how many mistakes you made, when you realize how rebellious you've been, when you realize how many times you turn your back and you've done your own thing and, 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 and you just kept on. And finally, at that moment, you turn to God and he's forgiving you from all of you. You're like, wow, like I, 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 I just, God, I love you that you've forgiven me for all that I've done. But when you walk around saying, well, you know, I'm not that bad of a person in the first place. I mean, I rarely make mistakes here and there. Then at that moment, you're missing out on what God can do for you. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. Oh, I didn't start the timer. You know what that means, y'all? That means we starting right now. No, I, I I I left the phone. In that we'll figure it out. I got a clock right there. Isaiah chapter one verse four to six says, "Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with the burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have resurrected, who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel, and turned their backs on Him." Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds without any soothing ointments or bandages. In this passage, what God is doing is he's painting a picture of our own sinfulness. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Wait a minute, wait a minute. God's not talking about my heart. He can't be possibly talking about my heart. I'm a good person. When I see a little birdie fall out the tree, I stop what I'm doing and I pick it up and I put it somewhere safe so that the cats don't eat it. When a cat is stuck in a tree, I get a ladder, and I bring him. I this is a true story. I was drive, we were driving here this morning, and one of the news reports on the way here was that there was a hero in Florida during the hurricane, during all the flooding, because he saved the cat. He, got, he, he, he went through the floods. He went through the floods, and he saved this cat. Now, for all the cat people, I know Bonnie's looking like, go ahead, Pastor, say it. Say it, Pastor. She's watching. Bonnie's watching online, and she's like, go ahead, Pastor, say it. Say it. You know how much Bonnie loves cats. I'm not saying cats are not worth saving. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying <laughs> is that even that, heroic act of risking your life to save that poor little cat still doesn't really make you a good person. That doesn't make sense, Pastor. The Bible says that the heart is not only deceitful, but it said desperately wicked. I want everybody to say this. Ready? Say, I am evil. evil. Some of y'all didn't want to say it. I looked at y'all. Some of y'all didn't say it. You know why? Because you're like, what? I don't want to say that. I don't want to say I'm evil. We have a hard time realizing that we are bad people. We are sinners. We are sinners. Pastor, pastor, pastor. It's hard to say, but it's true. We like to come to church on Sunday, look nice, throw on our Sunday smiles, right? Cheese. But inside we know that we're falling short. It goes for everybody, it's everybody. You know how many times? you know how many times I have to smile up here? When I know that there's areas of my life that I could do better, I stand up here and I have to smile. And inside, I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me. The more, but you know what's interesting? The more like Christ that I become. The more like Christ I become, the more unlike Christ I realize I am. I'm going to say it one more time because I want you guys to get this. The more like Christ I become, the more unlike Christ I realize I am. Yes, I am growing. I am getting closer to God. I am, I am getting, you know, uh, getting a strong relationship with God. But as I'm growing, as I'm getting close to God, I am understanding how much of a sinner I really am, guys. I hope you guys. Are, I hope, uh, babe, they getting it. Okay, Rachel gets it. She's she's wicked. <laughs> The simple woman comes to Jesus, and she's overwhelmed in her sinfulness. She's overwhelmed in her sinfulness. She's like, I know I'm a mess. I know I'm a sinner. The whole world knows what I've done. But Jesus, here I am. And she throws herself at his feet, and she washes his feet, and she shows herself to be completely surrendered to Jesus. And here is this Pharisee walking around saying, oh, look at her. Look at how evil she is, how dirty she is, how sinful she is. And because he is refusing to accept that he himself is a sinner, that he misses out on the forgiveness that that woman received. And he'll never understand that forgiveness nor understand God's grace. if you want to put on the helmet of salvation, you need to understand grace. The more you realize the depths of your sinfulness, the more you understand grace. Grace is hard for us to understand. It's hard to understand grace because we've been programmed, right? We've been conditioned against it all our lives. We've been, you know, we've been in a system where you get what you, uh, (laughs) you get picked on a professional sports team because you're really good at that sport. You get accepted into a college, a good college, because you have good grades, right? You get a promotion at work because you've been kicking butt and your boss noticed. And you become an asset to the company, right? These are all normal things. From the moment you were born, there's been a system of rewards and punishment based on your behavior. Since the, since the day you were born. So what does that mean? That mean is it means that we are programmed against the whole concept of grace since baby, since infant stage. So now as an adult or as a teenager or as a young adult, um, we are trying to say, wait, but God's what? I don't understand this. I don't deserve this. And God is saying, I know. I know you don't deserve this, but that's what my grace is. You don't deserve it. But I love you that much. God has a different system. Romans 6.23, says, for the wages of death is sin. But the free gift, the wages of sin is death. What did I say? Oh, my bad. Good thing you guys could read it for yourself up there. <laughs> for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus through Christ Jesus our Lord meaning what you deserve is death but there's this free gift of eternal life through Jesus that it goes against the whole concept of what you deserve and it's through his grace that he's giving it to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 and 29 it says instead god chose the things uh things the world considers foolish and consider in order to shame those who think they are wise and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful god chose things despi- despised by the world things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring not to bring to Nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You see, in the system that we live in, only the fast and the strong get picked for the best teams. Only the smartest get picked to lead companies and lead organizations. Uh, The well-spoken in this society will speak to the thousands, right? But then you see God's system and how he used Moses, who could barely speak a full sentence without stuttering and used a man like that to deliver a nation from the grasps of Pharaoh. God will use people that the world will look down upon The world would say, you'll never be anything. You'll never become anything. You're worthless. You know, you're you're no good here. You don't bring value to here. Some of us have heard statements like that. Some of us have heard statements that you won't become anything in life. You'll never have anything to offer this world. And many of us, we walk away from conversations like that, and we receive those words, and we allow it to defeat us. But that's why it's important to understand that the God that we serve does not <laughs> go with the system of this world. And so when the world looks down upon you and says, you'll never be nothing, God will look down upon that same person and like, ooh, I can't wait to show the world what I'm going to do with you. I can't wait to to, to let the world see what I'm going to do with you and then for me to get all the glory. That's what that means when it says no one can ever boast in the presence of God. That's what it means. It means that Al Al, Al, Al doesn't even know how to talk. So guess what? You know what? And God says, ooh, I'm going to use Al. I'm going to put him on a talk show. And the whole world's going to hear him. And then God's going to show, and then God will get all the glory for it. See, God will do things like that. He will do things like that. Right, Damien? Amen. (laughs) The second aspect of grace is what theologians call prevenient prevenient grace. It's the grace that precedes, precedes and prepares word inclination in man. So what happens is you guys have, um, I can't explain this best. Before you were even thinking of becoming a Christian, before that was even a thought in your mind, right, God is already at work in your life, preparing the way. You understand that? Before you even thought about going. Some people have some crazy stories about the time that they came to Christ, it starts off like something like, well, we were on our way to the club and we had a car accident. And the only person that could pick us up was my cousin, but she was in a church service. But she said, she said she'll pick me up, but I would have to go back with her to church. I don't want to be stuck on the highway. So I said, yes, she picked me up. All of a sudden, we went back to the church. And there, the church, I was sitting there ready for the club, but I was in the church. And the guy that was speaking, I don't know what happened. I don't know what was going on, but I felt something in my spirit, in my soul. And he made a call, and he said, if anyone wants to come to Christ, to come forward, and I just felt something pushing me, and I gave my life to Christ that night. The last thing on her mind was receiving Christ. But the grace of God was already at work in her life. People have all types of stories of how they've come to Christ. And many people were not even supposed to be in the areas where they were. But that was the grace of God already preparing the way, preparing the way for you to receive salvation. Mm. Do you know that it's just, I mean, and it's not coincidence, because he's already chosen you. And he's already chosen you before you were even born. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault on his eyes. Yo, isn't it good to be chosen? Who likes to be chosen to do something, right? Right? Okay, okay. Rachel likes to be chosen. She's clapping, she's clapping. Listen, listen. You know how it does? All right, whoever likes to play sports, and you're going to get, I said this before, but you know how, like, you're waiting to pick teams? When you get picked first, you used to walk around like, ha-ha, that's right, that's right. You get picked first, and you, 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 you know, you start, you know, you're like, yeah, that's right. You know, right, I did get picked first. I'm better than you, 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 you. And you, and you, you get this whole cocky attitude, right? But at the same time, be, get picked last. Right? And and, you, and, you, by, and and as it gets lower and lower, by the time it's getting to you, you're getting, like, lower and lower. And you're like, just hurry up already. <laughs> Let's just start the game already. You're like, oh, I got picked last. The feeling is not the same. It's not the same. But we should rejoice knowing that God has picked you for his team. And guess what? He didn't wait to the end. You got picked first. You got picked before you were born, so you can't get any earlier than that. It can't, you can't get picked any sooner than that. You got picked before you were even born. It should make you rejoice. It should kind of make you walk around like, that's right. I'm a son of Christ. I'm a son of, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And it should, it should give you this attitude of, do you know who my daddy is? I'm on God's team, and he chose me he picked me he wanted me to be on me when the world says I'm nothing, when the world says I'm worthless, God says, I want you on my team Woo-hoo! and I'm picking you first you ah. man he looked he looked he looked through the world like he looked. Before the world existed, he looked through time. God looked through time. And he says, I'll take Joanna. I'll take Stevie. I'll take Taina. I'll take Virgin. He looked through time and says, I want her on my team. I want Mike on my team. I want Eric on my team. He looked through time. And you know what's even better? (laughs) He didn't wait until we got our flaws all fixed up. He looked through time, he said, I'll choose you, knowing that you would mess up. He says, I'll choose you. I look through time, I want Nini on my team, even though I know that she's, not gonna, she's, not, that she's gonna rebel, that she's gonna turn her back on me, that she's gonna do things that she shouldn't. I'll look through time, and even though Juan may do some things in the future, because, you know, he's, Juan hasn't even born yet. I still want him on my team. So that should make us understand even further the grace of God. Putting on your helmet of salvation to protect your mind, you need to understand grace. And what it looks like is as you put on this helmet is saying I have accepted Christ. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I'm saved. And then when the enemy comes and be like, "Oh, you think you saved? You think you saved? Didn't you just lie the other day? Didn't you just cheat the other day? Didn't you just... And then you could turn around and be like, "That's right. I did. I'm a sinner." I've acknowledged that. I'm not like Simon the Pharisee that I'm walking around here thinking that I'm all good. He said, when, when the enemy will come and be like, oh, but you did this, or you did this, or you did this. He's like, you know what? Unfortunately, yep, that was me. You can't be like, it wasn't me. No, no you can't do that. You got to be like, it was me. I'm guilty. And you know what? I went, And I went before God, and I've asked for forgiveness, and I've repented, and he's forgiven for me. that. And you know what? It's the grace of God that covers me. Don't let him make you remove your helmet the moment he comes to lies and be like, oh, you think you saved? But you just did this. You're right. <laughs> you're right. I'm not saved. And then you come up to the altar every Sunday asking to receive Christ. The next thing I want to talk about is the sword of the Spirit. And as we know, the sword of the Spirit is the word of The sword the Romans used was short. It wasn't like one of those, you know, uh, barbarian swords. You know, like, who remember Conan the Barbarian? Anybody? Juan, no? You remember Conan? Are you doing Conan? Zeke, you know who Conan is? Conan the Barbarian? I know, I I didn't expect you to. Conan the, if you guys remember, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger the original, right? His sword was humongous. And he would stand there, and the sword was like, you know, like crazy. The, the Romans didn't have swords like that. In fact, their swords were shorter and very sharp. It was by being short and sharp, it's easier to maneuver a sword that doesn't weigh twenty hundred pounds, right? Um, and it was crucial. It was a crucial offensive weapon for uh, close combat. Close combat. There are people that have said, I will never fight an unarmed man, right? You know, like there's people that would be like, you know, if they have a weapon and they're going to go out to fight a war or something, if there's somebody unarmed, they would never shoot an unarmed person, right? You know, there's a code, there's honor there's a respect amongst warriors. And we've seen seen it too. You know, like one guy, he throws down his weapons and he's like, fight me. And the other guy, he's got his weapons in his hand and he's like, throws his weapons down and they go fist to fist because there was a code, there's a respect, there's something amongst warriors, amongst fighters that you just don't do that. However, our enemy he has no code. He has no respect. He has no uh, no honor. And you're right, he is a coward. And what do cowards do? Look for the first moment they can get you. And so he is looking, who doesn't have a weapon so that I can attack them? He doesn't have a code, like, oh, he don't got a weapon? I'll let him get his weapon, then we'll fight. No, no, he doesn't do that. He will... He will He will look and hunt you out so that he can fight. He delights in being able to find an unarmed person or woman, a man or woman. So far, entire list of armor uh, in the six pieces of armor have all been, for the most part, defensive. I know the shield can be used offensively, but they were mostly defensive, right? The sword is the only weapon that is exclusively used offensively. Close combat. So let's take a look at some things about the word of God. Number one, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word is amazing. In the hands of the Holy Spirit, it's used with skill and precision. Anybody ever try to use an axe to cut wood, like the big ones? You know, the big ones, you have to go like this, and you have the little piece of wood right there? If you've ever done it, the first couple of times, you might miss. You might miss, or you might hit it in the spot that it's not supposed to, and the whole thing flies the other way. It takes, it takes practice. Can you imagine a sword, a sword, if you guys are familiar with bone and marrow, right, it, it is so it's super close and to be able to slice it down the middle takes exact precision. The author of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says that God's word is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Church, you know we need this, right? When the enemy's constant tactic is to build strongholds, right? And so what he does is Uh, In our minds, through temptation, at that moment, God's word can come in, and it can clear out all the undergrowth. You know, the weeds, the shrubs, everything like that is blocking, and the word of God will clear it out so you can be like, oh, wait a minute. I see what's going on here. I see what's going on. And suddenly, you can see the stronghold that the enemy is trying to establish. You can use the sword to deflect temptation. Who's a big Star Wars fan? Anybody Star Wars? Anyone? Anywhere? All right, we got one back. Oh, you Star Wars? Yeah. Becky? All right. Oh, I see. I see it. Becky, you know the Jedi Knights, When then the lightsaber comes out, zoom, right? And they're like, zoom, 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 right? When they get, when they're getting shot at, they don't have a shield. They're using the same lightsaber, and they're like, and they're blocking all the bullets with their lightsaber. And so, if you picture that, right? When we have the sword of the Spirit and the enemy tries to throw temptations at you, you can use that sword and deflect them, bling, 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 as they're coming your way, in the same way that Jesus did in the wilderness. Listen, when the enemy tried to tempt him in the wilderness, Jesus deflected all the temptations with, it is written. It is written. It is written. written." He deflected it one after another with the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Isn't this interesting? Faith comes from the Word. It's derived from the Word of God, which means that if you don't have your sword, you don't have your shield. Remember the shield of faith we talked about last week? And so what happens is if you don't have your word, your sword, that means you won't have your shield either. The two go together, a sword and a shield, word and faith. So if you want to be a person of faith, you need to be a person of the word. This, this is important. Some, some of us, we look at other people, and we see their faith, and we see how, like, how they trust God, like how? I, I don't get how Al can just trust God so easily. I don't get how, how, how they can, how, how can have so much faith in a time like this. I don't get it. I want that, which is, it's not a bad thing to want to, 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 to see someone uh, a, a, a exemplify their faith in God, right? So it's like, you know what, I want that. Well, if you want that, you need to become a man or a woman of the word. So I just gave you, I just gave you the road to that. You want great faith? Get into the Word of God. But pastor, you know, I feel like I've been, you know, I feel like, I don't know, I try. I'm not into the Word as much as I should be. I know I should be reading, but I don't. I mean, I don't really know what to do. Can I get a little guidance? Sure, sure, I got you, I got you. the First thing that we should do when we're trying to become a person of the Word A woman of the word, a man of the word, is that you've got to pray that God will give you a love for His word. People don't think about that. People don't think about that. Pray and say, God, you know I want to know more about you. You know I want to do. I I want to get closer to you. Can you give me a passion and a love for your word so that I can get into it more? Yo, you're talking to your father. Right? Let them know. Let them know. You need the Holy Spirit's help. Let them know. Psalms 138.2 says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. Lord, show me. Give me. Second thing is don't allow yourself to get stuck. Don't get stuck. This is what happens. We get stuck in something that we don't understand. We're reading the Bible. Reading the Bible, right? We don't understand something, and we get stuck. Who likes to eat fish? Okay, Nate in the back. So Nate, you chewing on some fish, right? You eating? You hungry? You hungry? You hungry? All of a sudden, you get a bone, a fish bone in your mouth. At that moment, you a throw the whole fish away, or b spit out the bone and then keep eating the fish. What do you choose? Exactly. Do you know it's the same with the Word of God? Sometimes some people will choose to throw out the whole fish when they bite into a bone because frustration kicks in. I don't understand the Bible. And I don't understand this verse. I don't understand this passage. I don't understand this. You know what? I ain't reading this no more. People have done that. People have done that. You got to keep going. When out, what what spinning the bone out looks like when you're reading the word (laughs) is take a moment and say, God, I don't understand this. Can you can you can you speak to me? Can you show me what this is? Or you go to someone in church that has more knowledge in the word that you do, because there will always be someone that has more knowledge than you, and you say, Listen, Erica, I, I was I was reading this and I don't understand what this means. Do you know what this means? And you know what Erica will say? She will say yes or she will say no. And if she says no, she's going to go to someone and she's going to find out what the person mean. So guess what? You will get your answer. And leaders and future leaders, this is something I have learned, right? Something that I have learned. My wife was quick to tell me this when we were younger in our, in our leadership walk. was like, babe, you don't got to figure out every answer at the spot. She's like, if you don't know it, just say you don't know it. And for me, you guys know, for me, I was like, huh, you want me to say I don't know something? You want, me to, you, want, you want me to admit to the world that I actually don't know something? And she's like, yes, you need to, you need to. So some of you have even asked me some questions, and I've, I've gone to you like, you know what? I don't know that right now, but we know what, we'll know we figure it out. I think I've told Carlos that a couple of times. I, I said, Carlos, I don't know that, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Thank you, my love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The third thing we do is we got to recognize that God's Word works very much according to the principle of sowing and reaping. How can you think that you're going to grow in your faith if you're not spending time in the Word? So the more you spend in the Word, the more your faith grows, right? So when you're like, well, I read it yesterday. Oh, I read my Bible. When was that? Oh, no, last week. I read it twice last week. Oh, okay. Did you read it this week? No, no, I didn't have time to yet. Okay. <laughs> you can't, you it can't, it, it ha- has to, you have to be consistent. I, I recommend you find a time in the day where you can spend reading the Bible uninterrupted. And again, 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 me and Kevin, me and Kevin were talking about this. This, this is what I recommend that you use. Not this. I'm not saying that the Bible in your phone is the devil. I'm not. I use it all the time. But as I'm using this to read the Bible, I get Facebook alerts. I get email alerts. I get text messages. I get a bunch of things that come through this as I'm reading. And guess what? I will find myself, like, watching a YouTube video or something. I'm like, wait a minute. Wasn't I reading reading the Bible after, like, 20, 30 minutes. Pick up one of these. Put your phone away. And open it. And begin to read it. That's what I recommend. And then, lastly... Don't set unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. Some people are like, okay, I'm going to read the Word now. Some of y'all are already thinking, like, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to be consistent. And you're going to go home, and Omar's going to be like, babe, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Every day, I'm going to read 10 chapters. And Jocelyn looks at him like, okay, show me. And then the first day, maybe he'll get through 10 chapters, right? But he'll realize this is impossible. I can't do 10 chapters a day. And so frustration kicks in. He feels like a failure. I let God down. I told him I was going to do 10 chapters a day. I can only do half a chapter. I let him down. You know what? I'm not going to do this. And you put it down. Choose a chapter. Matter of fact, some chapters choose half a chapter. Right? (sighs) Then stop. And think about what you've read. Did you know that you will get more out of reading little paragraphs of the Word of God, stopping, meditating on what that was? What did I read? What did it mean? Speak to me, God. Then the, the, the chapter marathon, you know, like 25, 35, I read 50 chapters. Okay, what did it say? I do I don't know. I mean, okay, what did God tell you? Uh, uh Well, what is it all about? Uh, I, I read 30, 30 chapters. That's all I know. I read 30 chapters. It means nothing. It's not going to change your life when you read the Word of God that way. In closing, in closing, many of you have heard me say, Put on your whole armor. Church, we are in this battle series, and I've said to you, you have to put on the whole armor of God. (laughs) How exactly do I do this, Pastor? What am I supposed to do? I've heard some people, (laughs) I've heard some people, and I'm trying to think back to see if I'm guilty of it myself in my earlier days, but I've heard people say, go in front of the mirror every morning and imagine putting on the helmet of salvation. And imagine putting on the shoes, preparation of the gospel of peace. Imagine putting on your breastplate. Imagine, and so like you're standing in front of the mirror and you're imagining putting on this and then you go out into the world. Well, if I'm honest with you now, that I've learned some more things in my life. I don't believe that God is interested in our mental gymnastics. Can I tell you that? God's not interested in in, in your mental imagination of putting on these things. He's interested in your lifestyle. In your lifestyle. If you're interested in putting on the armor daily, this is how you do a real personal inventory. As whether or not you are wearing the armor of God. You say, God, Holy Spirit, help me search my heart as I ask myself these questions. Search my heart as I ask myself these questions. And you're going to ask yourself some real questions. And remember, you're doing this by yourself, so guess what? You don't have to lie. Truth, am I a person of truth? Am I speaking truth or am I speaking lies? When people reveal the hard truth about me, what do I do? Do I stop? Do I receive it? Do I turn to God and ask him to help me in those areas? Or do I react? I get angry. I reject it. breastplate of righteousness. Am I, am I certain of God's gift of righteousness to me? Do I make an honest attempt to be obedient to the Lord? Just, you know what? As I'm going through these questions right now, I think I'm gonna post them on I'll post them on, on Faith Life so we can just see them. Because these are good questions to ask ourselves on a daily basis. For the shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace, you have to ask yourself, am I prepared with the gospel? Meaning, do I know what the gospel is? Am I ready to share the gospel with someone who needs to know God? Do I even share my faith or do I keep it to myself? The shield of faith says, am I trusting the Lord regardless of the circumstances? We go through a lot in life, and we have to ask ourselves, am I still trusting God although I'm going through this? Am I trusting him? If the answer to yourself is, no, I'm really not trusting him, then you've dropped your shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. Am I secure in my salvation? Do I fully understand my sinfulness and the amazing grace of God? And lastly, the sword of the Spirit. Is God's Word an important part of my life? Am I honestly not just reading it, but am I trying to live by it? These are questions that if you were to answer them, it will let you know, based off how you answer it, if you are equipped and wearing the armor of God. And if you're honest with yourself, and some of these answers are no, then you could be like, oh, okay. Now I see why the enemy has established some strongholds in my life. Now I see why the enemy was able to do the things that he did in my life because I was not properly equipped with the full armor of God. Church, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And the closer we get to God, the more we realize our sinful state. This sinful woman that went before the feet of Jesus, she knew her state. She knew her condition. And she received forgiveness for it, but this Pharisee, he thought he was fine. and He missed out on forgiveness. So take a look at yourselves this morning and reflect. Some of us know <laughs> that, well, we all know we could do better, right? But some of us understand that there are some things that we have yet to give over to God. There's things that we haven't repented from. There's things that we haven't asked God to forgive us from for. And when we live our lives not asking him to forgive us from things that we should, in a sense, that's like saying I'm good. I don't need it wasn't it wasn't that bad. I'm good. I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I mean, I know we don't say that in our minds, but our actions say that when we just refuse to leave it at the feet of Jesus and to repent. Don't leave here the same that you've walked in. Do not leave here today the same way that you have walked in. We are in this battle. Oh, bro, this pastor, this is a a pastor that, that on the internet. His name is Pastor Vlad. Pastor Vlad said this. He said, we are in this battle. And I was like, oh, we're in a battle series? So I listened to what he had to say. He says, God doesn't deliver us from a battle. He delivers us for the battle. Could you, I mean, he says that God doesn't deliver us from the battle. He delivers us for the battle, which means that if we have our hands and feet in chains, what he does is he comes in, he breaks those chains open, so now we can get up and put on the armor like the word tells us to and fight the enemy. Some of us, some of us are waiting for God to deliver us from the battle. And he is saying, it's time to put your big boy pants on. And your big girl pants on. Get up there and fight. He's like, I've broken these chains. I've broken these chains. Now I need you to move forward and fight. Some of us, we struggle in that area because we don't feel like we have the confidence, the wisdom, the information. We can go down a list of reasons why we don't feel competent enough to fight. But we want to pray with you this morning that the Lord fill you with motivation, encouragement, boldness, and strength, and wisdom, discernment, all things that we need to move forward in this battle. You have a choice to make today, church. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day. If you're hearing this in a podcast later, and you want healing, I said, I I challenge you to just either you type it in the chat, that you put your hand toward the TV, that you put your hand toward the stereo, your cell phone, whatever you're listening, wherever it's coming from, just to acknowledge your step of faith. A step of faith. Lord, I need healing. I need healing. I need restoration. I need divine intervention. Lord, I need guidance to be equipped with the whole armor of God. I want to be able to be a strong woman of God, a strong man of God. But I need your help. I can't allow the enemy to continue to gain ground on my life anymore. Father, I thank you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.